What's up, everyone? My name is Joshua, and welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglin. Today's broadcast is awesome. We have my friend Susie Singer Carter, who is just, she's an award-winning filmmaker, an amazing producer. She's a podcast host. She's just uber successful in the industry, which is a very tough industry to be successful in. But that said, what she's doing now is something that is truly inspiring. And if you've ever you've had grandparents, if you've ever had somebody that's been taken advantage of by the healthcare system, if you've ever had a loved one in a nursing home, an assisted living center, someone that's ever been defrauded by the insurance companies that are supposed to provide healthcare, whatever it may be, I believe that we've all been affected one way or another by the healthcare system. And so this new film, No Country for Old People, is something that you're going to want to see. It's not done yet. It's not out yet. But here, Susie today is going to be talking about the film, why she's doing it, why this matters, and why you all need to not only pay attention, but really get involved. This is something, again, that will affect everybody. So I want to great. I want to thank you all for being here. Also, I want to give a shout out to my own website, joshuatberglund.com. The reason why I'm doing that is because we have a buy one, give one program for all media services. Now, listen, we, my heart is to serve. I absolutely love to serve. However, this, the media company in a box and the other services that we have are just, there's a ton of value there. And it's something that will truly impact your life. If you're looking to add seven to eight additional revenue streams off of what you're doing now, hit me up, give it a free 15 minute consultation. You can contact me on my website to sign up for that. But again, it's buy one, get one. So anything that you buy from me, any service, you get to give one to someone else. And that is all of a media company in a box, media company in a box for teams, consulting membership, any of it. Buy one, give one. It's not me giving. You get to be empowered to give. So without further ado, please welcome my friend, Susie Singer Carter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund and my friend, Susie Singer Carter. Susie, thank you so much for being here. I've been so excited about this. I haven't even really slept much because I've been anticipating this day because we've had a few really powerful conversations that have moved me and I have just been giddy to let my audience hear what you're up to. But before we get into all of that, can you tell us what are you grateful for today and why? Um, today at this very, you're talking about like Zen in the moment, Zen. I'm grateful for this interview. I'm grateful to be with you and hang out and chat with you. And I'm grateful that, that this community that I've stumbled into allows this kinds of connection that you don't normally get in day to day. That so. is true. That is very true. And I, and without technology. I would have never met your friend who introduced me to you. And then just getting to see what you're doing and what you're up to in the world. Never mind all of your past accomplishments are so freaking amazing. And I would love to have you on to talk about that. But you're doing something with film that I think more filmmakers need to do. And that is to create un... What's the word I want to... There's no agenda attached to this except for a pure heart and wanting to make a difference and wanting the right thing done. A lot of films get made and there's an agenda, there's propaganda, there's some type of underlying message where we're trying to get people to think a certain way. And what you're doing with No Country for Old Men 
No old people. people. Sorry. <laughs> no country for old people. You're creating a social change that is all about humanity and not forgetting the people that helped get us here. Do you care to share your film right now and just talk about it? What inspired it? Are you kidding me? Of course. Uh, let's backtrack a second. I did a film five years ago called My Mom and the Girl, which was a written, it wasn't a documentary, it was a narrative. And it was a short that starred Valerie Harper in her final performance. And it was really another film inspired by my mother who has all, who had Alzheimer's for 16 years. And I didn't know a thing about it. And I figured I can't be unique. I, we There's all kinds of pre preconceived notions as to what dementia Alzheimer's is. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to share the epiphanies that I learned and how I learned how to navigate with it and how my mother taught me to learn and taught me to, to deal with her dis-ease, but, and also to appreciate what was still there and what we had to, to enjoy with life. Cause life is, can be short, but it's also long. And this disease mm. can be short, but it can be very long. Definitely feel so, so you want to be able to enjoy those years. And so I did a film that I called The Joyous Look at Alzheimer's. It was real, but it showed the joy. Sure. And it touched a lot of people. I didn't think that my individual story would, because you think everyone's story is different, but really it's different, but it's the same at the core. That, that if you if it's authentic, it's the same at the core. And so it did indeed touch a lot of people. And we were went all over the world with it, with Takan. Got a lot of good nods and a lot of a lot of love for it. Cut to last year, my mom during COVID. I really, I like everyone got to got a real good look at what long term care looks like because you can be under the impression that everything is exactly how they market it, which is we're taking care of your loved one. And yeah, I'm. It's sad. It's, and I am Pollyanna, but I'm here to tell you it's absolutely not the truth. There, it is the opposite. And it's a business, it's profit over people. And I saw my mother suffer for the last six months of her life needlessly. And I saw, once I started taking a good deep look and realizing that this isn't just my mom's story, it's really everybody's story. And it's yours, it's mine. It's our parents and our love, everyone. Based on what I did with my mom and the girl, I just thought I had to do a honor my mom and all, Norma and all the other Normas out there who have come before her or are going through it now and hopefully try to change this systemic problem that is largely, it's, it's bohemian. And I don't have, I'm not under any grandeurs of delusion that I, Susie Singer Carter, is going to be what is single-handedly going to change this, this monster, but I'm sure going to beat my chest with a, and I'm going to try to engage a lot of people with me to beat their chest and to elevate and activate this issue so that everyone knows, and they're not caught off guard like me. But that's the power of filmmaking is that one person can create a project like you're doing and influence thousands, millions of people that especially when you tell a story that people can relate to, because we all have a grandparent or we know somebody that has struggled in the healthcare system. And I say struggled because there's so many different examples of injustice in the healthcare system alone. And having worked in healthcare the first 18 years of my life before I took this turn to the world I'm in now, um, I also, the reason I got into it was because of what happened with my grandmother who was in a nursing home and how she was treated, which I shared with you. And we bonded over that a little bit. But at that time, I, of course, I didn't know anything about filmmaking or how to get a message out. 
So meeting people like you, it's super inspiring to me because look, you could be making films for buttloads of cash. What the trending, what, what's trending essentially. And you could make a film that would be super, super popular and easy to digest and take a quick cash grab. But instead you're trying to, you're doing something positive and impactful and something that could save a lot of lives. Because I think a lot of people go through life having no actual clue what their healthcare is. And yeah. more importantly, what their rights within healthcare are. I'll share with right. you a statistic that was pretty alarming. It doesn't really relate to your situation, but this is for everyone that's listening. When I worked in healthcare, one of the things that we uncovered was that like over 90% of claims that get denied never get appealed. And they so they'll deny things on purpose just because they know that you won't appeal, you won't fight it. And right. so people don't even know they have the right to appeal. So there's a lot of healthcare ignorance out there. And in what you're doing is help helping wake people up and helping them see what's actually going on. And at the same time, I hope that this inspires other people that do know what's going on to start using their voices also. Yes, indeed, because it's not new. The problems aren't new. That's what I found out. And it's been going on for decades. And there's been a lot of, listen, there's a lot of warriors out there before me that have been and that continue for decades doing everything that they can within 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 the avenues that are available. So the the regular suspects taking talking to your representatives and going to and writing changing policy, but then it's always okay, A, the policy gets killed, or B, who's going to enforce that policy? Where's the enforcement come from? Where's the oversight? There's so many parts to every faction of this problem that, and I know it sounds overwhelming that we need to tear it down and restart, but so be it. That's right. So be it. We have to do it. If we have to do it, we have to do it because you don't want to know, you really don't want to see someone you love go through what my mom did. And I was there every day. No. And if you don't do something now, here's the truth. You're going to go through what your grandmother's, your mom, your grandmother, anyone out there, like this is for you now to start doing yes. something. It may not happen in six months. It may not happen in a year, but just keep in mind one day we're all going to be older. We're all going to, we're all going to be facing the nursing home or the assisted living center or whatever it may be. And if we are, we don't have our rights in order. We don't have this healthcare system in order. We're going to become victimized of it as well. So now's the time to speak up. If anything, do it selfishly. So start exactly. fighting for people 100%. now to save you now, later. A hundred percent, because we, we try, listen, we have all these, all kinds of products and programs to have stay young and live longer and have a great quality of life. So we're trying to live longer, but then you get to the point where you're at that age and there's a tremendous amount of ageism. We are so hypocritical because we want to live longer, but God forbid we say how old we are and God forbid we give respect to somebody who has had a, a life and is still enjoying the, the winter of their life and that season. And we should revere them. We should respect them. We should allow them to get what they deserve. And we should want that for ourselves. We should want that for humanity. It's just, we are in such a selfish mode and I get it. And it's like, we've, we've somehow, I'm not, this is very ex existential. Somehow we ended up in this very strange kind of 
a way of living this humanity that we call humanity. And it just feels even the most humane of us are self-serving to some extent, which is good, but there's self-care and then there's, and then there's just selfish care. Yeah. What, when you started this process of creating this film, obviously you do a lot of fact finding and you do research and you, you get your ducks in the row because you don't want to build a film on a bunch of false information, especially when you're trying to educate people. What was the most alarming statistic or information that you found while researching for this film? I think there's a lot of them. Yeah. Josh, there's so many that you just go, what? Like everything that I, that I thought I might've been paranoid about. No, I was not paranoid enough. Like it, it's pretty horrible. I think the scariest thing is that the way that our healthcare system, which I didn't really understand, and I know most people don't, and even doctors that I interview don't really have a clear cut understanding of the difference between Medicare and Medicaid or hospice and palliative care, all those different labels. And, and so there's different interpretation. And that's because they're so freaking complicated like our system from CMS, which is our Medicare and Medicaid Medi-Cal system is so complicated, but they, the way that it is done, it's, what I found that was the scariest is that it's created to allow it's legal corruption is what it is. It's, it's legalized corruption because there's so much corruption and a and a lot of opportunistic corporate corporations now that are taking advantage of the fact that there's is barely any oversight on this system. And so it's so vulnerable that it's getting taken advantage of, which, and it isn't, it is organized crime. Yeah. I need a body, I need a bodyguard quick. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that. You, I know, I'm like... glad to know you. I'm <laughs> But it is organized crime, like it, it is, and it's legalized because of their go there's loops everywhere. And so everything that they're doing is legal, but it isn't ethical. No, not at all. That's the difference. That's what's going on. I shared the story within you when I shared the story with you when we spoke last. And when I my last gig in healthcare was after selling our family business, and I went to go work for the corporate giant that bought us. And my role with that organization was a national contract negotiator on behalf of the people with complex disabilities. So I used to travel all over the country and meet with the heads of insurance companies from every name you can think of. I'm, I got to meet with them as far as these companies. And this was universal. Every conversation, we already knew what they were going to say, but they answer to stockholders. They don't really care so much about the patient and right. in their care. That's why they deny claims, but they, cause they're, this is a business more over anything else. They're not there for your health that, yeah, they provide healthcare, but it is a business. And so they will tell you to your face, we have to answer to our stockholders. So no, we can't pay you for this equipment. And so the way that you have to approach them is you have to make it their idea to give you more money. And the only way you can do that is by showing them. If you provide this care, you you pay for this service, here is all of the statistics that show you that you're going to save money long term. And that's how you have to present everything to them or you'll get nothing done. I was a part of one of the last things that I got to experience when I was in healthcare 
was right when CMS cut the allowables in half. And the allowables are what they pay per code. They cut them in half. And it dramatically changed the industry. And that was the telltale sign of what was to come, which in my belief is it's the killing off of the weak. And as screwed up as that is, just look at the last few years. Look at the example of what you're talking about. There's no other explanation for it. Because why else would you just let people that are elderly or people with complex disabilities not have access to the proper care or while they're getting care that actually does something? It's just a wicked system. Yeah, yeah. It's so convoluted too. It's so complicated and convoluted because there's people that aren't getting treatment that they need, people that are getting treatment that they don't need because it's all <laughs> about what, no, it's true. And then in both, and in both, situations in both of those hurt the person because the person that doesn't need the, those kinds of treatments that should be in palliative care and should be getting preparing and enjoying this quality of, of the last se section of their life yeah. are being poked and prodded and all kinds of things happening so that they can bill for it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, like my mother who could have probably lived another year or two and a nice year or two who knows we don't know maybe more we don't know maybe less but the point is that the decision was made not to give her any treatment and and more than that and because that's what you'll find out in the documentary with smarter people than me that will that has been studying the financial side of, of how this works the lack of transparency in the audits and what goes on it's very easy to take advantage and think and what works and what doesn't work. I, I do know that I've found recently in the most, in my most recent uh, exploration of the payments and what, how they're making all this money is that my mother was, I think when she was on hospice in the facility, when you're in hospice in a facility as well, the, the per diems for Medicare are tremendous. So my mom was pulling in close to $30,000 a month for them and making and getting no, no benefit out of it herself. So that's a tremendous amount of money, and that's just one resident. What potential solutions? Because the one thing I've learned, especially when I was active in healthcare, for every problem that they threw at us, or every obstacle, or every budget cut, or whatever, we always discovered a gaping hole somewhere else. There was a, they always had a blind spot or something that was exposed of, here's a solution to this. In your research and in, even in making the documentary, what possible weak spots or areas of hope did you find or even possible solutions? Complete well, anarchy and let the system crumble. It's what I'm trying to do is to get people to understand that we are the, uh, we as patients or residents, we are the commodity. So if we, and so you have to look at yourself like that, and that's how we are viewed by those corporations. So as the commodity, you have to say, where am I getting the best treatment? If it's not there, then leave. And that if we all left at once, and I'm giving you a really simplified answer, but it's, it's, it's under, it's like the model of a union strike, get out of there. Yes. It's going to be hard. Yes. There's going to be a collateral damage, but that's going to be far less than if we keep this system in place. We have to take the power back as, as the people that are using their, they, their, these facilities or 
these providers that are not having, they're not engaging their ethics. There are no ethics. So we need to take the power back. And the only way to do that is to not use their services. We have to figure that out. I have people, I will have people that are going to talk about, there's all kinds of ideas of how to do that. How do we do that? What kind of, what ways of living are much more that provide better quality? There's tons of those, but how do we subsidize that? We got to, there's, we got to pull the money and all those, all those resources back and then, and re and recycle them into where they're going to work best and also take it out of the for-profit hands and get it back into nonprofit that is, that has true oversight, true oversight. We need oversight. Oversight is so important. And, yeah, the, and there's, there's also say something to say about preventative care. And of course, for the elderly, it's almost, yeah, there's some things that you can do and that they can reverse some health issues. And, but for us, for people our age and younger, it, it's about preventative care, taking care of ourselves. We only have one body. I've, I'm 43 and there's days that I feel like I'm 95 because I abused my body. I partied all the time. I did all the <laughs> rambunctious all the, things, all the fun things. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It, until it wasn't fun anymore. But now like I'm, I pay the price for it sometimes, but at the same time, I also am young enough still that I can get on the other end of it. And I've started to do so. And my health is dramatically in, in, improved. And now I haven't been to the doctor at all which is right. nice. I love that. Cause I don't want to go. I don't want, I don't want them to, I, I feel like if the last time I went, they were trying to pressure me to do all this stuff I didn't want to do. And I'm okay. not I like, I don't like that. So I'm just going to go to nature's medicine as much as possible. And that's what I'm going to fall back to. I don't trust this healthcare system. I don't trust the medications. If it's not naturally produced by, by, by my body or not bioavailable in my mind, it may mask a symptom or it may hide a symptom or whatever, but I think it's going to create something else. So yeah, I want things that again, are good with my body. It comes down to transparency though, Joshua, again, because there are good medicines out there and, sure. and have been medicine, you know, penicillin is a great example, just to be simple. There's mm -hmm. this great thing that people would not revolutionized lifespan and quality of life. But there's so there's opportunity for money and to make money, you're going to have all kinds of nefarious activity. It's going to bring in a whole other, it's going to muck up the system is what it does. So you've got all kinds of the pharma that is driving our system and that, which is organized crime at its best. And so we don't know, we don't know what's real, what's not real. And all of the FDA is infiltrated by people from pharma. And it's just a really, it's quite frightening. And the truth is it, we can stay as healthy as we, like what you're doing, which is phenomenal. But eventually, hopefully, we all get to the winter of our life. And, our, and our bodies do what our bodies are going to do. So either we take the route of Soylent Green and we go and check into a hotel and watch a movie, <laughs> which Nice reference, like a, by the way. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. But at the point <laughs> is, is either we do that or let's change the system and let's make the, that last season of our life quality and respected and dignified, respectable and dignified, because I would say that all the time. I'd look at my mother lying in this bed and we can't take her outside because she has a a bed sore, so we can't move her. Yes, you can move her. And you, yes, you can. And she needs to go outside and see the sunshine. 
And that's living in a room, looking at a wall and not drinking and eating because for fear she's going to aspirate. No, that's not life. No, that's not no, life. Die that, that's checking off the boxes and saying, we're keeping her alive as we, as per this regulation. No, no, we need patient centered care. We need indiv individualized care. We need doctors that can do their job and not be shackled and looking over their shoulders for fear they're going to get sued and for fear they're going to get fired or have their license revoked because they're because they actually have a conscience. Yeah. I that reminds me I started I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm more of I like documentaries and different things I can find on YouTube and forbidden books and but I did this weekend find a show called New Amsterdam which I guess has been around for a little bit. But the first time I ever saw it and like I watched the first three episodes and the everything about it is like it made me want to believe in doctors again. And I it it made me want to believe that there's doctors out there that wanted just to go back to being doctors because the healthcare system is really preventing doctors from being doctors. They don't get to really do medicine anymore. They what they right. went to school for. It's a much different game. And and it's really hard for doctors to, to survive without joining these giant groups. But when you join these groups, you're under their control. You have to do it their way. Again, you're not practicing medicine. It's just a different world now. But I was watching that show and it started to build up so much hope in me. And I go, no, screw this. I'm turning it off. This is going to make me stupid. I'm not going to watch this. This is the lie from the devil. But yeah. at the same time, I'm going, just with, I know there's doctors out there that oh, yeah. know what's going on and they can't stand it. I wish they'd get some huevos or some balls and just start fighting back because it's ridiculous. No, it's true. And it, and they do, they can't fight back because it doesn't, it's, they don't have the power. The power is in the pocket and that's the problem. And so that's why FYI, our, our doctors and nurses, the, the, what do you call it? Their moral injury is off the charts. Their, their suicide rate is, it's that bad. It's that bad. And but people and a lot of our providers are leaving the industry because they can't do what they want to do. And they're having, suffering this moral injury, which is tremendous. It's everything opposite of what they went into for the most, for most of everyone, they went into this career. And so they can't do what they hoped to do. And so they're trying to get out and save their soul. It sounds like dramatic, but it's true. No, it is. You're right. It's in some people, and I want to make, I want to say this. I doctors are not taught business when they're in medical school. They're not educated that way. That's why I've for 18 years worked with physicians every single day and then still work with them. When I got into skincare, working with plastic surgeons and dermatologists, most of them have no clue how to run a business. No clue at all. That's why <laughs> I'm never, I'm not going to go down that road, <laughs> but they're just not very smart when it comes to business, a lot of them. So they have no other option. The other thing is they've done all of this work to get through med school, to get through residency. If they're, if they become a surgeon, they have the plastics program. They, there's just, a, it's a lot of school, a lot of study, blah, blah, blah. So they get to practice in a doc doctor. Like a lot of them don't, they're not that motivated to keep educating themselves and keep learning and to practice medicine and to get into the science and look for new cutting edge treatments and so forth. A lot of them don't do that. A lot of them just go along with whatever it is that they're doing each day. Okay, I got these patients, that's who I'm going to see. Then they join these groups. Then 
they join these doctor groups, they are susceptible to the information that the group director is giving them, the medical director. And they look to this medical director as their authority. This is who they trust to get information from. So if the medical director is saying, you need to prescribe this medicine for this, and here's why, all they're doing is taking the sheet and going, okay, it came from the American Medical Association or the FDA, so whatever, okay. And then they're just going to repeat the information. And they think it's true. So a lot of them had no clue that they're actually hurting people. And so you talk about the suicide rates going up because a lot of them are realizing what they've been doing is not right. And it's really screwed up. You only have to look at the, if you haven't watched Hulu's miniseries Dope Sick, I, I oh, implore oh. you to watch it. My, my partner on this project was the main character portrayed in that miniseries, Rick Moncastle, who is now a retired attorney general who federally prosecuted, investigated, prosecuted Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family for disseminating OxyContin, in a, which is an ep, was, is still an epidemic and, and brought it to the level of this bazillion, billion, multi-billion, billion, billion dollar industry, with absolutely no ethics. And, and also Rick Moncastle, who is now like <laughs> fiercely embracing this, his new role as a producer with me, which is phenomenal because coming from his background and knowing the players in this field, because he also federally prosecuted nursing home for fraud for over 20 years. So he really knows and has his investigators that I interviewed on my podcast, which is Love Conquers Alls, they, they, they were boots on the ground and everything that I was telling them about my mom was, yeah. And that's the, that doesn't matter if it's a five star or one star, they're right. all this, they're all the same because they can be. And, and the truth is that when I asked Rick on my podcast before he started working with me, I said, what can we do? What can a Susie do to help change? And he said, he said he felt so awful when I asked him that question because he didn't have an answer. Wow. That's telling. Yeah. And he said, like, at all of these one-offs that he prosecuted, and he calls them one-offs, and they get fined, and they may get fined millions of dollars, but that's the cost of doing business. It yeah, a billion-dollar fine is nothing to Pfizer. It doesn't make a change. All it does is it's the cost it's built into their business model if you watch the if you watch the miniseries you'll see that what although they prosecuted purdue they weren't able to prosecute richard sackler because and that's what they needed to do the other part too is like for instance pfizer pfizer got in trouble years ago and but the way that they set up their companies and the shell companies, the technology companies do it too. Because when you steal a patent, they can hide behind shell companies and just bankrupt it, and then they never pay anything out. So Same. Pfizer's gotten away with this for years, and I'm sure Purdue and these other companies are doing the same thing. They and can, the nursing homes, nursing homes too, are doing yeah, that. It's crazy. It's yeah. got to stop. But here's the problem: it's allowed because you've got people that you have senators. <laughs> that are on the board of some of these companies. It's like they, they are insulated and protected. They're in their pockets. They're in each other's pockets. Big. Someone said to me, if we can just show that the, when we are talking about the documentary, we can just show the politicians that this could affect their family. And I was like, How, you have to remember who we're talking to. We're talking to politicians 
not to throw a huge bias, but come on, they're, they're not, that's not going to get them to change because it's going to affect their mom. What's going to get them to change is if it's going to affect their agenda, their political agenda. So if we can shame them and let them and take away their constituency, then that's the only way we're going to get them to make any changes that are on the right side, what? I think. Why doesn't, and I probably know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why doesn't Hollywood do something about this? Because I, listen, these healthcare stories, I know they don't sound very sexy, but there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of thrill. There's a lot of excitement. There's plenty of mafia stuff going on. There's plenty of death threats. There's plenty of blackmail. Like it's got all the stuff for a juicy story. So why isn't Hollywood pushing this? You're talking about in a narrative way. That's in, in a non-fiction way is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to engage Hollywood because I know Hollywood is very powerful. So that's my hope that is to engage with this community and use that power. But as far as narratively as fiction, yeah, there was something recent. What was the one called? I care a lot. And it was a guardianship of elders who don't have family and these rings of people that that go after these Familyless people that don't have guardians and they poach them. They look for them. They say, oh, here's a person who's in her 80s. They're wealthy. They yeah. have no free. And suddenly they're working with doctors that are signing over, oh, this person needs to be institutionalized. They can't live alone. I, oh my God, that. So to fill the psychiatry, <laughs> man, that's a whole other wormhole. But it, when it's like, when I tell you this is all like interconnected, these civil commitment in psychiatrists, like there's big money in putting people in facilities that they can't get out of. There's a yep. ton of money there too. Psychiatrists have a ton of power, which is terrifying because they can literally write, say anyone's insane and you can get put away. It, it's, right. it's madness to me. Gosh, I had another question and I completely brain farted. Come what, back so to you. Are you. Have you already shot the documentary? Is it already? Is I mean, it there's parts of it that have been shot. So uh, most of it is the stuff that's been shot is my footage, is my found footage. Because after when I started to really get to know Rick Moncastle, and he was right in the middle of when I was going through all this with my mother, and he said, start taking videos and pictures as much as you can. You need to memorialize this. Yeah. You don't know yeah. why, but you do. Just keep it, start doing it. So I did. I, And so I have a lot of footage that that people hear of these things happening, but now they're going to see it. That's awesome. Now they're going to see it. And then the, all of the experts that we have, uh, I have interviewed a tremendous amount of them. I still need to finish my interviews with them. And then it's putting the puzzle together. So we're right down. I'm like deep in it. I'm deep in the trenches. I got my boots on. I'm like not sleeping. It's it, we're in the thick of it. And I'm so motivated. Do I, can I say that now that we're raising money, we have a nonprofit, we work with, the National Consumer Voice for long-term quality care. And they've been around since 1975. Ralph Nader started them. That's how long this problem has been going on, folks. And uh, they're my fiscal sponsors. So if, if you want to see some change and you believe in this project, just if you want to support us financially, please do go there. There's a page dedicated to us and uh, it's all tax deductible. I'm not going to make anything on this project. That's not the point. Yeah. You know that. Joshua, yeah, not, that not, is, they'll make money. I know more of the backstory as to why than we probably have time to go into this, but I it's true. Like you this is not a cash grab for you. No. This is 
a heart project. A heart project, which is sweat equity. Millions. Sweat equity, but I will, I'm doing this. I have to do it. it there's no way. I, if I don't, listen, we've raised some good money, but if I don't raise another dollar, it will get done. Yeah. It will get done. And everybody, I'm so proud of the people that have thrown their hats into this ring to speak truth to power. So I'm really proud of that. And um, uh, I know that we're going to make some noise. And I'm, and I know that noise is got to, is got to make a shift. We have, for we have pro life. We have Me Too movements. All these movements. Let's focus on something that we that affects all of us too. All of us, not just one sector. Everybody. It and really does. Stop it's being not- afraid of dying, everybody. Stop being afraid because I'm the biggest baby there ever was. I was having panic attacks at three years old about dying. Okay, literally. And my father would say, "You're three years old. Go back to bed. You have 97 more years. That's not a good enough answer. What happens after we die? I want to know. I love life. I don't want to die. But guess what? When someone is suffering and they're dying that you love, you're going to step up and you're going to be there. You got to be, put your big girl hat on or your big boy hat on and you step up and it's actually a beautiful experience. And I told my mom the night before she died, I said, you taught me how to live and now you're teaching me how to die. And those are the two best gifts in the world. You're something else. I, and I also want to speak to the community. I, we're friends on LinkedIn or whatever you call it there follow each other on LinkedIn. And I've seen the community swarming around you, the subject matter, and so on. And every time I look at it, and I'm not on LinkedIn a bunch, but when I'm on there and I see it, it inspires me and it gives me so much hope because it seems like more and more people are paying attention. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And I admire, again, I said this at the beginning, but you've made some cool films and like you've been a part of some amazing projects. You've won several awards. You've done all the Hollywood things. So you could be using your influence for greed or anything else and you're doing this. And that for me and what I want to do is super inspiring. Like you're a role model to me and I'm, I've been so blessed to have gotten to know you over the last few weeks. And I'm just really excited about this project because as I said, it hits home for me. I saw this. I saw- Thank you. I have a lot of mascara on. You're going to make me cry and then (laughs) mascara all over me. Everything I'm saying. And (laughs) this is, and even working in healthcare, the things that you're speaking about, I saw it firsthand. So we all need to rally around this film and you, in my opinion. Thank you. My mother is, as they say in French, you guys know what, you know, which means she's glowing with pride right mm-hmm. now and appreciation because you'd love her. You'd love this lady. She was fierce. She was the voice. She was like the white Ella Fitzgerald. Her voice was off the charts, like unbelievable. And her music was everything. Um, just incredible. And she, listen, I always say, even in her last week of life, she had more game than I've ever had. Met, she could still pull a man. <laughs> At the end of, there's something about some people that just got it. My mom had it, but classy. <laughs> always class from top to toes. She is saying, that's my daughter. She, she good, huh? That's my daughter. And I would say, mom, stop, stop. But I hope that her, I hope that her essence is pouring out of me because she was just a force and a magnet. And I hope that she's pouring out of me and that you all feel her energy and that we step up for her, like I said before, and for all the other Normas, because that's what we're doing it for. And it, and there's no better feeling 
There's no better feeling than holding someone's hand. So let's hold everyone's hand because that's really the greatest thing in the whole world. I promise you, you're not going to get any better feeling about yourself. You're going to love yourself so much more than you could ever imagine when you help others. It's quite extraordinary. Yes, it is. Susie, I know for a fact your mother's back, but I feel your spirit every time we talk. And I feel her energy as far as just like it's coming through you the passion for this because it's magnetic and it's hard to ignore. Every time we talk, I'm just drawn to you and this project. And I believe in what you're doing. I, we are praying for all the favor in the world for you. And that this makes a huge impact, not just in the United States, but all over the world. Because this story, it does cross over into so many other stories. Like it matters, but it is a human interest story. It's something that will if it doesn't affect us today, it's going to affect us. It's like one of those things. So it's something to pay attention to. Susie, please tell everybody where they can follow your journey, they can follow the progress of the documentary, where they can support you, where they can donate. The floor is yours. Yes. Uh, okay. I'm I am I'm at Susie Singer Carter on all of the platforms, social platforms. Also, my my website is Go Girl Media, and that has everything about Susie Singer Carter and No Country for Old People and you can donate at the, again, it's, I know it's a long name, but it's the National Consumer Voice. If you just look up National Consumer Voice, you'll find it. You can go up where there's a landing page. You'll see our, my poster that's behind me there. There's also a dedicated page. You can donate whatever you want. And if you can't donate, and I understand it, we're coming out of COVID. People didn't have work for a while, but that's okay too. Share, tell your communities about this bound to be somebody with some deep pockets that 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 have has brushed had a brush with this kind of situation and they'll understand so it, the more we can share this the better so i just ask you to keep amplifying this because i don't want to grow old and be in one of those places and you don't either no. i promise you not the way they are now i don't you, i promise you don't and can i just say one other caveat yes there is some good facilities that happen to circumvent all the caca that's out there. And they are, they're angels and they're just incredible human beings that run these far and few between. So I'm not throwing everyone under the bus, but they're still having, those people that are so good are still having to work within a system that doesn't support them to do what they want to do. So those good facilities are really sacrificing and they shouldn't have to. That's right. So you shouldn't have to. So I want to just make that clear that I'm aware that there's people and or facilities that are out there that are doing incredible jobs because they are, they're heart centered. Absolutely. And uh, so that's it. And I, I appreciate everyone's support and uh, let's show them who's boss. Let's go Norma Ray on them in honor of my mom, Norma. Let's go <laughs> Norma Ray. We're small, but mighty stand on that chair. That's right. <laughs> Susie, God bless you. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here. Thank you. Bye-bye.